darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly. <laughs> Yeah, welcome to the Far Post Perth, a podcast. Usually we'd be doing a weekly wrap. We thought we might chuck in an emergency pod. Fair bit happening in the world of Perth glory at the moment, and it's fair to say that not much of it is really good. There is some real frustration getting around the football club at the moment, a bit of the of the fear of the unknown. We wanted to get through and just have a bit of a... I guess I wanted to have a bit of a vent too, and I'm a bit of a pissed-off fan. I'll throw that in there as well while I'm there, and yeah, just a, just not where we wanted to be at the moment. Uh, let me introduce to you our uh, guest for the evening. First of all, our uh, trusty sidekick in uh, Tommy Dolman. Evening, mate. Hey, Blaine. Uh, I don't know whether I'm looking forward to this pod or not, but uh, hopefully we can just dust off some of these cobwebs and uh, try and make sense of it all and, and try and put a bit of an explanation together as to what's going on. Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it, uh, put it, Tommy, because there's plenty of perspectives getting around at the moment. We don't have the answers. Uh, no one I've spoke to has the answers. We've all got our thoughts, all got our opinions. I think they're all uh, of equal worth, but we thought we might just make a, try and make a bit of sense as best we can. If you're listening out there, we really do appreciate uh, your support of us here as we try to make a bit of sense of this as well. Uh, what we wanted to do, Tommy especially, was get a bit of an outside kind of perspective. Uh, we have got the very, very reliable Neil Simons from over there in Melbourne. He joins us from the uh, Kick360 outlet. They've got a podcast. They do wonderful work as far as promoting the game, uh, the Australian game over in Victoria. Neil, evening mate. Good evening. Uh, I know it's a very turbulent time for you guys down there in, in WA so yeah, it's. Uh, I definitely am feeling very empathetic towards you guys but I'm very keen to dissect all of this and yeah, I've definitely been one to advocate for Perth Glory being a successful footballing entity. However, uh, that is not the case, and uh, this is why I'm here. <laughs> Great to have you on board with us, mate. And I guess the reason, too, is that we don't want to be just me and Tommy just going batshit crazy and, you know, like the old man, you know, yelling at a cloud kind of style. We really wanted a little bit more input, mate, so we really appreciate you jumping on board, particularly uh, late at night over there in Melbourne. Uh, first of all, we need to start, and that is the elephant in the room, Richard Garcia getting his marching orders along with Stephen McGarry earlier this week. It was Sunday morning, less than 24 hours after they copped a 4-1 drubbing at home to the 11th place Brisbane Roar. Many people think maybe they saw this coming. There was plenty of calls for it on Saturday night at the football, I can tell you that. People were very, very upset. They were frustrated. There was a bit of anger there as well, and those calls were heard come Sunday morning. Uh, Tommy, first of all, mate, how did you, how did you I guess, receive the news? Um, a little bit mixed, actually. I think two things can be true. I think you can feel a great deal of sympathy for Richard Garcia with the conditions to which he's had to manage in over the past two seasons. Um, I, I hate using the word because it's been so repeated over the last two years, but it, it has been pretty unprecedented. Obviously, I know Wellington have had issues to deal with as well, um, but the glory of also faced a lot of challenges in that time. And, and in terms of Garcia and... Um, when he stepped into that job, I'm, so, I'm sure he had a certain idea of what he wanted to implement and how he wanted to implement it. And I'm sure the conditions that he was put in uh, were not really suited or, or not ideal, obviously, to, to what he wanted to do. Um, that said, it was getting very clear that progress, uh, on the pitch at least anyway, um, for all of the... Um, work with some of the younger players that has happened. Um, obviously, he was the former MPL coach um, at the Glory as well. And, and for, for for some of those players coming into the team and, and trying to unearth a few of more of those players in the side, it, it was clear that the results weren't happening. And we were on the show last week, Blaine, and um, I think I said that I wanted to see a little bit of incremental progress over the last two games against the Central Coast Mariners and the Brisbane Roar. 
and, and unfortunately it got worse. And, um, and yeah, perhaps I was wrong last week when I was sort of not necessarily sitting on the fence but sort of wanting to just give it a little bit more time to bet in. Uh, but it became pretty apparent by the end of the weekend that a change did have to be made and, and that was what happened. Um, Neil, does this... Oh, I want to have a bit of a, a talk to you about from your perspective over there in, in Melbourne... How has the Perth glory been viewed throughout this year? Because many of us think that, I guess, with with our purple caps on, that Perth's probably had it one of the hardest out of anyone. I think most people would agree with that. There's a little bit of a, I guess I've, I've been guilty of it, a little bit of a poor us kind of attitude that's happened. We've been pulled from pillar to post. We've had uh, upteen versions of isolation, so on and so forth. We've had terrible injury concerns. Our star player hasn't worked out to what we, what we thought. How's it been? viewed over there on the east coast I'd have to agree with you personally uh, I think the view is very similar in the manner of uh, of which we perceive it I think it's a case of Perth Glory have been put in an uncompromised position as a result of factors beyond their control I think that really puts it into a, to account what, what they've had to go through and especially when when I saw the Sardinera and Sturridge signings I thought this is going to be a, a this is a good squad on paper. This is a good squad on paper. The squad's well composed. Um, there's some good good squad composition. There's some good youngsters coming through as well. Uh, the Sturridge signing was lauded on the East Coast. A lot of press. We personally keep 360. We're trying to <laughs> interview every Liverpool uh, fan outlet we could we could to to try and uh, put the fo- put the spotlight on on how important this was uh, for Australian football. In actuality from an East Coast perspective I think the attraction of Sturridge hasn't been as much of a draw card as as, my, as many would think I know West United put out a promotion saying that Sturridge would, would play against Prijevic I think and then Sturridge didn't even feature so um, clubs on, on the East Coast attempted to to utilise Sturridge especially as a vehicle uh, to market which is um, you know to be expected um, but I think from uh, a general perspective, it was very hard to identify teams within the A League men this year. That were just bad. Just, just yeah, I mean that's. I think that's fair enough because they, we were all going through our separate COVID situations at the time. Due to where our geographical location, we were kind of thrown in a little bit more. Same as Wellington to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. I guess um, Sydney and Melbourne teams probably had it a little bit easier. Just the fact that they could get around a little bit easier. They could play games a little bit more um, ad hoc if needed. Uh, so I, I guess that was that perspective in there. Uh, Tommy, um, where we, I guess... Uh, Let's go. Let's stick on the Richard Garcia thing, I guess, for a second. With all this in mind, was Richard Garcia given marching orders? Was it fair, considering all that's going that that had gone on in his, I guess, in his reign as head coach of Perth Glory? Oh, um, again, without wanting to repeat myself, I mm. think I think two things can be true. I think. I think he, he was in difficult circumstances, but it was becoming apparent that, and I did sort of hint at this a little bit last week, Blaine, and, and I did ask, I did put the question to you, actually, and I wonder if you've had a bit of a revised change on this as well, and I'd be interested to hear what Neil's thoughts were. But but I tend to think that perhaps while the Glory were playing away games on the East Coast, that maybe we were drinking a little bit of the HBF Park Kool-Aid and sort of thinking that it was all going to be okay. It, and, and I was guilty of this as well, and I've said this on the podcast, that if the Glory were able to just scramble a few results, um, it wasn't necessarily about the performances. And if they could just grind away, get enough points on the board and keep themselves within touching distance, where they were in a position where they could get home, have a run of games and possibly mount a surge for the finals positions... Um, then perhaps that would be something that would have appeased the fans and it may have possibly eroded a little bit of what happened earlier in the season. In fact, what's happened is is we've come back and the performances at home just, just haven't been good enough. I think it's one point out of a possible 12. Um, and, and against many of those teams who are not particularly, I don't think... 
um, exactly the pace that is in the competition either. Teams like Adelaide, teams like Brisbane and teams like Central Coast Mariners who you simply have to beat and get points out of. Um, so I think from that perspective, I think I think that has a little bit to do with what your question was regarding Garcia is that um, the improvement clearly wasn't coming and, and that was kind of indicative of what was happening at the very end in the home games. Um, but I also think, as I said before, that it can also be true that uh, he's found himself in a pretty unfortunate position. He's probably not worse than, worked in the best conditions possible. And I certainly hope he gets another opportunity at some point in time where, where conditions are more suited to him and he, can, and he can have some better conditions to work under. I'm going to throw this one to Neil because I know that he looks a little bit at tactics and formations uh, and so on and so forth. But we found ourselves, Tommy, on previous podcasts even questioning, and I did, and I'll give you a prime example, things like playing Jack Clisby up the pitch. Neil, was Garcia out of his depth tactically with some of his, I guess, uh, work this year as head coach of the Perth Glory? Garcia is not a tactical manager. Garcia's a man-manager. That's the position he was put into. Ruben Zadkovic, who we'll get onto later, I'm sure. Mm. He's a tactical guy. The, the thing with Garcia is that I'm not much of a tactically inclined person. You could probably ask, you know, Al <laughs> uh, Tom Williams or Jack George about this. But from a signings perspective, the signings of Nick Fitzgerald and uh, what's his name? Who did you sign? That uh, was from, I think, had some Australian... Darko Stanojevic was Stanojevic, he the backup? Yeah, I, I had yep. searched up before. Uh, Darko Stanojevic were the most ridiculous and panic signings I've ever seen. An excessive reliance on someone like Fitzgerald um, and more broadly, Clisby playing up the pitch was very ad hoc and ridiculous. Playing a forward for one formation is also weird. Um, Timmons as a sole anchor, number six doesn't make any sense to me uh it just seems like garcia is throwing players on the pitch and see where everyone sticks um yeah clisby last season at the mariners had some good patches playing in that left wing back role but he's not a left winger he's Mm. not someone like craig goodwin who can interchange between those positions um as like when it comes to someone like adrian sardinero who's had one goal contribution in his uh in his time in 12 matches through an assist against assist uh, for against Sydney FC when you uh, defeated them, I think I was the first game back. Um, it, I think I think it just really speaks to the level of, I guess, just inadequacy in in what we've seen from a from a recruitment perspective, where there is a perceived there is a perception that the glory rely on youth, and that Daniel St- and that Daniel Steins is a young player, but he's twenty four years old. Mm. The perception yeah, no, is completely ridiculous and it's just ill-informed. Can I just ask Neil a question quickly about um, whether he thinks part of that w- was was is due to the way that the, the composition of the squad was at the start of the season? Um, because we sort of hinted at it a little bit for, before, as in we, we sort of discussed how we thought that the signings of Sardinero and Sturridge were possibly the ones that, that may have been able to sort of elevate glory. But as it's turned out, the, the balance of the squad, is, as hinted at with Blaine talking about Clisby playing as left winger, as winger has proven to be um, a bit of a, a misfit in a sense. Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting one, uh, especially from the perspective of the young players that you brought in. The only reason why Coley got a run is a run in is on, I understand because he played a cup game against a victory and and he looked okay and and then he was brought into the the senior squad and he's now starting week in week out. Like decisions like that and also uh, the lack of other players playing, such as Luke Bodnar. I know he's been injured, but um, he's he is only he's a number six. You know he he is mm. he is an, he is a number six, and I feel as if there are very few shining lights in this team. Uh, jo- Jonathan Aspropodamides is not a, st- a starting caliber centre back, and the signing of Sturridge at the same time was also uh, welcomed with many calls of, "Well, how are you going to fit how are you going to fit Sturridge, Keo, and Fornaroli up top?" Like it just it just didn't make sense. It still doesn't make sense. You've got Sardinero mm. as well, who's is a winger slash ten by extension. The composition on paper looks messy, uh, but 
but it looked good, which is weird. Yeah. Yeah, mm. uh, there, there's something there's something that was quite tasty about a kind of three headed monster that's playing up front with Fornaroli, Keo, and and Sturridge. Though wasn't there? There was something about if this can work, this is going to be pretty damn good. Unfortunately, Sturridge never got the minutes. Keo hardly got the minutes, and he's not he's, he's a shadow of the player that we've seen in the past in a Perth Glory shirt. Let's put it out there. And the pretty uh, pretty much all goal scoring duties were left down to Bruno Fornaroli. That's what we've seen throughout the season, which of course hasn't helped uh, Garcia's cause. If that was in fact where he was putting all his all his money into that kind of three headed monster mode, let's stick to the uh, I guess the players for a second. We will come back a little bit more on Richie Garcia in just a quick uh, a second. Um, Sturridge, did we? Is there a thought that we didn't do enough due diligence, Tommy, when we signed Daniel Sturridge, considering how injury prone, how stop start, how uh, I guess prone he was to disruptions and everything like that, and how I guess how, how much of a process and a hard process at that it was ever going to be to get Sturridge fit, firing and on the pitch for what we, particularly for what we paid for him. Or what we're paying him, at least. Well, I don't think it was a, a secret. I think, mm. and I think Neil would have would acknowledge this as well, even from Victoria. I think most Victorian New South Wales fans would have looked at it and said that th- this isn't going to be a signing that's going to hit the ground running. It's a, it's a player that's um, had had injury history and 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 had um, various concerns. Um, fitness-wise, but but obviously he was a player with talent that, that the Glory were obviously hoping that they could um, nurture into a degree of match fitness and for him to be able to make an impact, um, w- whether it be three, four, five games into a campaign. Now, whether the travelling aspects and whether the uncertainty around um, the flights and everything like that and the various quarantines, whether that's upset the, the rehabilitation process um, of various injuries over the period of time. We're not to know that. Um, only Daniel Sturridge and, and, and the medical team sort of know that. Um, but I think... I think most fans could have told you that it was always going to be a risky signing of some sort. Um, I, I, I don't think that's anything that, that, that should be really sort of pointed at and, and thinking. I think Sturridge was the sort of signing that was the cherry on the top, to be honest, Blaine. Mm. And if he was to have gotten fit and if he was to have joined into that side uh, with a Fornaroli and a Keo. And probably more importantly, and we've spoken about this before, a good midfield configuration in behind him that's going to actually feed him um, reasonable supply and provide him with reasonable chances, then that was a cherry on the top sort of signing. But unfortunately, um, it's other areas of the team. um, And and obviously the fact that Sturridge hasn't been fit sort of um, exacerbates that as well. Just to add to that, Tommy, obviously from a Perth perspective, Tony Sage came out and has said that from a marketing point of view, it was superb. It was a, a top marks for uh, the Sturridge signing from a marketing point of view. Unfortunately, from a playing point of view, it, he called it, uh, I think I'm uh, correct in quoting, he called it a big fat zero. Is he is he on the mark, the Tony Sage? On the basis of the minutes he's played, yeah, he probably is. Um, mm. We obviously don't have access to the um, the marketing data that, um, that that's been quoted from in in that sense, but um, on the evidence of the game time he's played, then yeah, he's probably he's probably right. Um, we got that little sugar hit, didn't we, in round one where he came on for five mm. minutes. Um, he stayed and signed some autographs afterwards, and you sort of thought at that point. And I know, and I, I don't know how you felt walking from the ground that night, Blaine, but um, it was a one-all draw. It wasn't the best performance, but it was something to build on. Um, the crowd was good. Um, Sturridge got his five minutes. People were a bit confused initially as to why he only got five minutes, but he signed the autographs afterwards. The mood was fine. Um, And then obviously uh, various factors have sort of happened after that where it's obviously just not worked for one reason or another. Uh, Neil, from a Perth Glory perspective, um, we have certainly had our fair share of dud signings, a big name dud signings. We could all go all the way back to... um, uh, someone like Samson Ciasia back in the old NSL days, we could point to Brian Dean, we could point to William Gallas, and now um, Daniel Sturridge. Have we got past the point? Has the A League matured 
And if clubs matured that we need to stop going for these sugar hits or such big sugar hits and start to get a little bit more tactically aware and start to pull in more Castros and Ninkovic's instead of your, your big-name signings that are that are such a big gamble. The way that the, the APL has marketed the league uh, and, and the means in which uh, the league has travelled over the past few seasons, marquees are a necessity. And it's unfortunate, because a couple of years ago you could probably argue against this, but... Uh, Unfortunately, it's it's a proven formula that has worked. Uh, mm. Whether momentum has been gained off of that it remains to be seen. Um, I think uh, if we look back at the 2012 Alessandro Del Piero, Emil Heskey and Singiono era, that obviously contributed in part in, in, into the um, boom in, in the A-League at the time. But I think uh, realistically speaking, sort of fixating on, on Sturridge as, as a whole, yeah, his signing was massive. It, you mm. can't dispute it. Was a, it's a bigger signing since um, Del Piero in terms of NRI, uh, in terms of what he brings as a personality uh, and everything along those, li- along those lines. Huge. Uh, it was it's- always a gamble. <laughs> I think we all know that. It's interesting, isn't it, Tommy? Because we could probably say that plenty more people, obviously he was there for a hell of a lot more time, but plenty more people would come out and see someone like a Diego Castro, particularly at Perth, than what anyone ever would for, I think, over on an average, a Sturridge now, that's failed, a Gallas, a, a Brian Dean or anyone like that. It was really interesting that if you do actually put the time into these players, they can, in, fla- in fact, flourish and become a really big impact not only on putting backsides on seats but of course Castro captaining the A-League, uh, the uh, Perth Glory to winning the league yeah um, it obviously helps when someone like Castro comes in and essentially hits the ground running and mm. um, and and is a player that the fans can immediately get behind you sort of um, see some of the stuff that he does on the pitch and, and the fans gravitate to that immediately um, the problem was was Daniel Sturridge couldn't get on the pitch um, and and that's ultimately what happens and when when you're trying to build that connection as fans and when you want to see somebody and you want to come back to see them again and again and again um, um, then if they're not getting on the pitch, then it becomes a bit of a... Um, you lose a bit of faith almost. Um, and essentially that's... Well, essentially that's what it comes down to, really. I think it's just about... The, you build... You build fans, fans are quite simple. They... <laughs> they, they build relationships with players um, who perform well. And if... But you've got to get on the pitch to be able to do that. And I know that sounds quite simple and sounds like quite a, a black and white view of it. But you've, we've heard a lot of murmurings and we've seen a lot of commentary on social media where um, people are almost joking about the stu- have, have been joking, were joking about the storage situation from a very early point as to almost sort of like there was that initial excitement. But then it was like, what what injury has he got now? Why is he out? Et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's the sort of stuff which just it doesn't help the mood um, as much as everybody would have loved to have seen him eventually get match fit and, and, and contribute in a greater way on the pitch. It's it's that sort of stuff which doesn't help you from a standpoint and, sorry, from a mood standpoint immediately. And you're always trying to work hard um, to, to build that back. And unfortunately, when you're not getting results either, if, if the glory were third or second or, or fourth hypothetically in the league and they weren't a million miles off from challenging the top positions in the table, then, then perhaps that patience in that storage rehabilitation for the final five or six games of the season may have been a little bit more um, understood. Um, but unfortunately, when you throw it into the way that the season's panned out so far, it just ends up being, um, as, as, as Tony Sage said, essentially a big fat zero on the pitch. Mm. Call me a cynical bastard, but there's something in me that says if Daniel Sturridge can't do anything on the pitch then there's a fair bit to say that I'm not sure how he passed a medical to get into an A-League squad I'm just going to throw that out there because what we've seen we've we've hardly seen the bloke move we've had the club come out and say look he's not used to a four hour flight like that is fair dinkum ridiculous to come out and say that how have you got a bloke that passes a professional football medical 
I can't I can't make any sense of that. Tommy, Neil, anyone want to jump in for that? <laughs> um, I'm not sure about the medical procedures at A-League men clubs, but uh, look, uh, I think you know, with Sturridge, I think I think it speaks more broadly about the communication strategies in which Perth Glory employ. It's just mm. inadequate, really. Um, from a from an from an Eastern States perspective, when I'm hearing a certain journalist on the Perth Glory uh, post, and I actually attended the press conference, the post uh, Richard Garcia sacking press conference with Tony Pinata, asking questions about when who communicated the message to, that he got sacked, etc. And then that same journalist releases an article with Richard Garcia that evening on how, you know, on Richard Garcia essentially, you know, letting loose as much as he could at the time. To me, it just indicates that the club and, and more broadly the storage signing was a massive misstep. Um, and just, and I think it really speaks to the transparency or lack of lack thereof that the glory had provided. Um, in this, in this, in this realm of of storage, Tony Sage will love to go and say, "Oh, you know, clubs bankrupt this and that." Why did you spend? You know, well, we don't know the specific amount in which storage is being paid. Why did you spend an astro- astronomical amount of money on a glorified gamble? Mm. He knew this at the start, and there's a lack of synergy. And I think we'll get to the whole Terry McFlynn tweet as well, but. Hey, it just uh, it just screams inadequacy and unprofessionalism because, as I see it, the Glory are the most unprofessional club in the league. I'm going to put mm. it out there. Mm. Yeah, many, many fans in Perth would totally agree. Tommy, there's a fair bit that could be read into, isn't there? There's a lot of innuendo and there's a lot of things that need to be come out and, and pulled under the rug and, and, and pulled to the surface to, I guess, let fans know who... Let's be honest, many of them have become quite apathetic because it's not the first time we've seen debacles like this. Um, no. Um, <laughs> life is a glory, fans, never simple, Blaine. You should know this by now. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I think an element of it does um, pertain to what to what Neil was saying with regards to the communication and and, and I suppose we're going to get on to the eventually mm. the, the where do we go from here thing. But th- this is also something that needs to be communicated and communicated well. You need to be getting the correct messaging out. Um, you need to be getting that synergy synergy um, going where everybody's on the same page. And um, you need to sort of learn from, from, from the mistakes that have previously happened. Um, but, but various leaks and, and various... Um, interviews and, and various tweets and other things like that. It just doesn't look great, Mm-mm. and and it just it just it's it sort of from the outside looking in. And I, again, I, I'll probably ask Neil this actually because he he is from the outside looking in. Is like how, how do people look at that when you're seeing when you're seeing posts and, and tweets and and random um, I suppose radio interviews that are being aired and and different quotes. Um, from from seemingly two or three different um, places uh, being released from from at times even the same person. Then, then how how do you think that sort of mashes up in terms of the messaging? Because I, I think the fans over here are as equally as confused as probably what you guys are over there with that. It's great to have slots on SEN. It's great to have slots on on Tab and whatnot. It's great to have slots on on those platforms. I think it's wonderful. It's a good method of marketing and communications. Um, as someone that does study commerce, it is great. But uh, when it is Tony Sage, essentially, you know, I'll put it politely, um, talking a lot of crap <laughs> at times, um, is that the best means in which you want to promote your football club? Um, yeah, I know Tony Sage, yeah, he's, he's, he's invested millions and millions of dollars into the league uh, and, and into the football club. The club has got no tangible assets. The club is training from a, out of out of a football oval, as it stands. The club uh, has no distinct youth recruitment strategy. Where uh, Alessandro Cicciati is playing for Palmas under twenty uh, un- under, well, he's playing for their senior team now. Um, and uh, I'm not sure if there if there was any compensation that they that that Glory received from that. Um, what is Glory's identity? You've got Josh Rawlins, who's the, the shining light of this team. If he gets sold, 
how are you going to... Re- what revenue strategies are there outside of gate and ticketing revenue and, and sponsorship? Because I'm seeing storage mm. jerseys being sold for $150. Those storage jerseys aren't going to last forever, are they? Because <laughs> uh, seemingly uh, he, he's not in—he's not a fan of the fa- of a favourite of the fans at the moment. Uh, and many people think that the whole thing was just a, a big mistake and a failure. So unfortunately, that re- that does, I guess, reflect a little bit badly on maybe Sturridge's legacy that he possibly did have coming here in the first place so I guess there's something to think about there as well. Um, I do just want to touch on and uh, this is something for you Tommy because it's something that we've seen a bit locally and that is Richard Garcia and the way that he I've got to admit, I think this is an area that he really needs to be commended because, I mean, he was head coach of the MPL Academy here. He has brought through plenty of talent. Um, right, they're not as young as as many people think. They're not youth talent per se, 16, 17-year-olds. Well, some of them are, but... But he still has, uh, Tommy, played a, a decent hand in, in bringing through some young players, which I guess have moulded into fairly handy A-League players and possibly some would would go on to better yeah knowing the glories like they'd probably go on to other clubs in the a-league and look really good in different <laughs> systems that suit them to have um that- already <laughs> well yeah i mean and like you said he, he provided them with those opportunities to, to get that game time but um it's one thing introducing younger players into um a team that's doing well that has an identity and that has a, a set style of play. Um, it's another thing introducing players where you're just sort of using them as not necessarily square pegs in round holes, but you're just looking to use them as as a chance to sort of plug a gap in a sense, or because you have to use them out of necessity. Um, and that's that's generally not the way that you want to be trying to bring through your young players. So. Um, I don't know. I don't know whether it's a matter of they've come into the team and their and their progress has since stalled um, as a result of the mood that's sort of setting around the club this season, or what, or whether they're a chance to to possibly go back into the MPL competition later this season and, and do well once again, and and perhaps get another chance under a new coach next season. That all remains to be seen. But but um, but yeah, we'll uh, we'll just have to wait and see what happens, and and obviously. Um, what the club does going forward. Will, will Ruben Zadkovic stay in charge of the MPL side um, if the glory are to go down the route of getting a coach from the outside in? Um, he did a really good job with the club last season. He got them to a preliminary final in the top four cup. Um, they gave Perth and um, Floriot really good games last season who were the two leading teams here in WA. Florida obviously got to the FFA Cup round of 32 and, and, and played pretty well against Adelaide. So um, it's it's a tough one, um, but I think, to, to, to be honest with you, I, 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 I think Garcia should still be commended for what he's done with the youth players. He was the driver of that for a long time, mm. um, but, but it maybe speaks more about whether he was the right appointment when, when the appointment was made at the time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I just come from the feeling that I don't think he should be purely judged on the A-League because he did do a tremendous job at youth level. And it's actually a bit... I'm actually a little bit irked that we can't see someone like him stay in a youth system somewhere. If he does move on to another club, I'd really like to see him get involved in youth football because I think that's where his his calling might be as, as far as that goes. Um, guys, we might just take a quick 30-second break and we'll come back on the other side of this. If you're as passionate about the A-League as we are, you won't want to miss a second of this season's action. And the easiest, quickest and best way to catch every game from every angle is with the A-League Live app. Simply search A-League Live or Sportsmate in the Apple or Google Play stores. Yeah, welcome back to this special edition of the Far Post Perth podcast. Blaine Treadgold with you, Tommy Dolman and Neil Simons from Kick360 joining us the ev- this evening. Um, I wanted to go through and have a bit of a look at some of this stuff that's come through on our social media, guys, if we can, just for a quick second. We, throw the- we threw this out on the Far Post Perth and we basically asked three questions to our fans out there. To Perth fans, how are you feeling about the state of the club? 
What do you want from the rest of this season? And what does the future look like for Perth Glory? I reckon we've got our uh, own ideas about this, but I just want to go through uh, a few things and, and a few, uh, few, I guess, answers to this. Uh, Ryan Avellalonga has said uh, he's, it's embarrassing, but can also understand how financially it is, uh, financially difficult it is at the moment. Sturridge hasn't worked, and if it did work, he, we would be feeling great. He wants to see uh, more attacking football for the end of the season. He doesn't care about results and he says uh, the future looks dark if we are unable to uh, recruit a proven coach and keep guys like Fauna Rolly and Lackman. Uh, in terms of the players, just for a quick second, there will be a time I think that uh, both the, I mean the fans have already probably started go, to go through and, and work out who they want to stay and who they want to to depart at the at the season's end. But I just want to ask a quick question and that is what role uh, Neil, do, do the and I guess what kind of responsibility do these players that are at the club that have been through this with Richard Garcia, what responsibility do they need to take on board as far as the, the sacking of Richard Garcia and and the poor results for that matter? Obviously, you have to carry some part of the burden. Uh, if you just look at at it from a realistic perspective, some of them just haven't performed. Um, and I'm going to be pretty harsh here. Uh, Mitch Oxborough, Nick Fitzgerald, and uh, Darko Stanovic. Um, who else? Osama Malik. They're not cal- they're not A League caliber players. Mitch Oxborough uh, was recruited from Guadalupe, Croatia. Um, someone like uh, Anthony Bergeroy is an NPL player that that's actually performed quite well. Uh, but uh, yeah, look, I'm gonna be. Per, a little bit biased here. Stefan Valentini was on trial at the Glory, and uh, he wasn't picked up because Mitch Oxborough was on trial for longer. Uh, so, uh, look, if that doesn't say anything about the state of Glory's recruitment, I don't know what does. Um, in terms of the way that the, the, the players have responded, I think it's a positional sort of thing. that they've, they've been pretty hard done by in many areas. I thought, you know, Bill Gilroy tremendous player was played out of position at, at, at times O'Neill hasn't he's just been played forward progression passes that will always intercepted which is so unfortunate because he's such a talented midfielder um, and he's obviously out for the season now which is so disappointing um, but I think positionally they, they haven't really been dealt too many good cards to be brutally honest with mm. you and they have the quality I just feel as if tactically it, it just doesn't really sort of suit you've got a weird concoction of players that are from MPL clubs and A-League clubs it just looks weird it's just weird it's just really weird and I don't think any other A-League club has really employed similar strategies to be really honest Mm. Yeah, it is interesting how they're going to move forward next year. Um, let's throw this one to you, Tommy. Ruben Zakovich and Chris Coyne comes in as his assistant. What do we need to do until season's end? What do you think? Well, actually, first of all, I'll just throw it straight to you. What would you like to see by season's end in terms of achievements? Do you want to see results? Do you want to you want them to work out who should be on the books, who shouldn't? Do we blood youth? What would you like to happen until the end of the season, uh, Tommy? Um, for geez, um, how many games are left? Ten or eleven now? I think something like that in the campaign. Uh, yeah, I'll have to just have a quick look at that. So, uh, so we've got uh, six uh, six games left, I think, by the by the looks of it. So, so my my view is kind of along the lines of if if the glory do happen to go on a winning run and somehow finish sixth, it's extremely unlikely. But hypothetically, if that were to happen, do, does it really change anything? going into next season or is or does it just paper over the cracks mm. it's probably not going to happen so the best thing for me this is just my opinion I'm sure that you're going to get many glory fans who are, this is going to be quite a divisive issue among glory fans I think um but my, my personal opinion is is you, you sort of get Zadkovic in, you try and lift the morale a little bit. As Neil said, Zadkovic is, is a more tactically astute coach. He's, he's proven that with his with his time over in the MPL in New South Wales. Is, and, and obviously, he's done a really good job with the glory as well. And um, and, and Chris Coyne's obviously someone as well who, who's worked a lot um, in the local scene here as well. And, and, and Chris is um, – he's, he's a good – he's – He's a very good motivator of players and he's somebody who's worked well with a lot of, of young players. And 
and he's also used to coaching successful teams as well. Like he, he's he's someone who's who's very much the head of those successful Bayswater teams in the in the mid two thousands. Not that that necessarily correlates to, to to coaching younger players at the glory as such, but but maybe he might be able to just provide that little bit of a spark. Um, to answer your question in a very long and roundabout way, I, I think what they need to do is they almost need to sort of start the. They, they almost need to, not necessarily, you can't do a rebuild in 10 or 11 games, but you can do a reset. You, you can sort of try and filter out a little bit of, of, of what's not going to be a part of your te- team or your club going forward. And you've almost, if, you, if you're the likes of Tony Sage and Tony Pignano, you've almost got to trust that Zadkovic and Coyne are going to be able to sort of help you with that process. Um whether they stay on as the as the full time coaching team for next season is another matter, or whether they drop back into the MPL team, we're, we're yet to find out. Um, but but I personally think that they need to try and just play some of the younger players and try and blood them, try and get games into their legs, try and give the team a little bit of more of a tactical identity, a bit have a go, ha- have a bit more of a go, try and try and play in a little bit more of an aggressive manner, press a little bit higher up the pitch try a few different things and try and set the stall out for next season a little bit more. Unfortunately, though, the club the club's just at such a low ebb in terms of morale with the fans at the moment that you've still got to try and sell tickets to home games. You've still got to try and get people buying into the glory experience at HBF Park. That's going to be very difficult. And if you're trying to sell them uh, tickets to a rebuild over the next 10 or 11 games, that's going to be tough. So it's a really difficult balancing act, but the season's essentially a write-off um, now, isn't it? And and, and oh, I think I think yeah, a, I think a reset I think a reset just has to happen, and and we have to try and develop some of these players. And and if it's a matter of releasing guys who aren't going to be there next season, then so be it. I think I think you've got to really just look ahead to next season now and use this as a platform to do so with Zadkovic and Coin there. Yes or no, just quickly, Tommy, I'm going to ask you the same question I asked Neil Sherwin on my radio show today, and is that the end of Sturridge and Sardinero? Do we say farewell to those two guys as far as getting this and, and doing exactly what you're saying and, and getting a bit of a bit of youth in, in it and, I guess, enthusiasm back into the side? Uh I, I would say if um, if Sturridge has no prospect of coming back at all this season, then, then yes to both. Mm-hmm. Let's have a bit of a look at the club itself because it has been a whirlwind week. Um, there's on top of the Richard uh, Garcia sacking. There has always been also been a talk about um, Tony Sage selling the club. Look, this has been on the cards for a while. We went through uh, Crypto Gate. We've been through other absolutely ridiculous scenarios when it comes to um, new owners coming in, so on and so forth. Um, I'm pretty sure we broke this news uh, last week that he was in Dubai um, having a discussion with a potential overseas investor. That has since come out just yesterday and uh, has fallen through. Uh, Many fans, Tommy, are calling for Tony Sage to, uh, I guess, sell the club. Um, Maybe he has exhausted all his ideas. We hear about him losing money left right and center is that what needs to happen do you think um i think the idea of finding somebody who's going to bankroll the club and who's going to put the money into the club that tony sage that the tony sage has is easier said than done to be honest i i, I don't think it's easy we, we can all sit there and say that, that sell up that Tony Sage needs to sell up and so on and so forth. But what's the plan? Uh, mm. Who who's going to come in? You know, we can't just sort of tell them to sell up and then sell up to no one. You know, someone's and someone's also still got to come in and buy the club. So, um, look, it's there's no doubt that Tony Sage is is a passionate. He, yeah. He's a passionate football man. He's invested a lot of money into the club, um, and that shouldn't be forgotten. Um, Possibly it's more a matter of, of, of maybe letting go of a little bit of that. I don't even know if control is the right word. I think that maybe is, maybe is unfair to say. But what who I do trust is I do trust Tony Pinata. I think Tony Pinata as 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 the CEO at the club is somebody who's who's. Um, I, I, he he's spoken well on your show, Blaine. I've heard him a few times, and he's and he's dealt with a lot of the things that have come the glory's way pretty well. Um, in um, 
over the course of the past year at least or, or, or at least for the duration of this season. So maybe it's a matter of just getting the structure of the club um, upstairs a, a little bit more clear cut. Um, but in terms of your Tony Sage question, maybe. I, I don't think I have a, a dead set straight answer to that. Mm. Um, Neil, there unfortunately um, there has been one common denominator in many of the debacles that is, uh, Perth Glory has seen through. And I'm just going to go through a couple of things and run it past you. Nine managers since 2005. There's been umpteen type of CEOs, restructures, football ops managers, rejigs, you know, um, potential crypto um, gazillionaires coming in wanting to buy the club. I can't even count how many PR debacles there have been since Tony Sage has been there. Is that the fix that Perth Glory needs from an outside looking in? Um. It's a weird one. It is a weird one. It's a. It's probably a bit of a leading question to be to be f- purely fair to you. But I mean, but I mean, that's the that's the. I've given to you like that because that's the that's the scenario that many fans that I'm hearing, many fans, including myself, c- can say at the moment. <sighs> Honestly, Tony Sage being an owner in his league is not good for the league. It's not a good look from a, from a PR perspective. Um. I'm just being brutally honest here. Uh, mm. Just, yeah. Um, there's a watertight budget, but then you spend millions on Daniel Sturridge. It, it doesn't make sense at all. Uh, it, I know Tony Sage has been very successful in his business activities, and we have to give him, you know, respect and 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 credence to, to what that to what that what he's done there, and that's wonderful. But ultimately. Uh, there must be a change in ownership to to really see the change that you want to see. Any goodwill that the glory had from selling out Optus Stadium three years ago is gone. Mm. Mm. You've gone from 55,000 fans to 5,000 fans on a weekly basis. And Mm. yeah, that's representative of, of the climate we're in at the moment as a league and as a competition. But when you really boil it down... um they aren't going to go for a high-profile coach. Yeah, that, that may be a good thing, but, you know, when did these things work out properly? You know, uh, there is... Yeah. I was just going to say, there is also the, I guess, the aspect, and, and going back to Tommy's point there, is there is the aspect of better the devil you you know that the devil you don't. You don't know who's going to come in and what kind of what kind of shape they're going to have the club in either. So there is that. And, and I will reiterate Tommy's... Um, uh, Tommy's sentiments too is that the amount of money that Tony Sage has put into this club, no one can deny that. But unfortunately, there still has to be an accountability there for poor decisions happening as him as not only owner but chairman and involved in that decision making process of the Perth Glory Football Club. Uh, it's uh, and and what's yeah and and to your point, Blaine, the the, the club have made was it two grand finals in, uh, in two grand finals, decade. one bit of silverware since two thousand and five. Yeah, and that's that's not good enough. That that's and that's that's the bottom line. Uh, you touched, I think, on it earlier, Neil, and that was the identity of, of Perth Glory, the, the the purpose, and it's something that I've looked at as well, and something that when you do look at um, one and two year coaches. Updean CEOs go on and so forth and, and so much I guess un- instability within Perth Glory Football Club you tend to think that there's no long term vision now it's hard to get long term vision of course when we talk about football clubs but there still is I guess KPIs to hit goals to try and achieve long term visions and I guess a purpose and an identity Perth doesn't have one does it? They don't realistically speaking they have been a good developer of talent in the past uh, Jacob Italiano springs to mind. Josh Rawlins obviously is going to be sold to Europe eventually. I mean, he has to be. He's starting games in the A-League now um, as a 17-year-old, which is tremendous. Uh, I think um, from a realistic perspective, the glory are stuck in a weird sort of you know, dynamic. And I was listening to Ben Smith on the National Curriculum podcast mm. um, on Sunday night and they had a 40-minute discussion on the glory and uh, the whole notion of competitive balance within the state. Obviously, uh, you know, the West Coast Eagles, Fremantle, uh, 
Perth Wildcats uh, all successful, relatively relatively successful in their own right. Um, and yeah, the glory is stuck within a rock and a hard place because they can't financially compete with the, your victories, your cities, your Sydney's and your Wanderers and whatnot. Well, now they can with the Wanderers, obviously. But they also have to compete with them because if they don't, they're stuck. They're like the fifth or sixth tier sport within WA. That's how I see it from a Melbourne perspective. So you're stuck within a real, weird, really weird spot where you're developing young players, but at the same time, you know, what's the revenue streams and what's the, what's the whole vision here? Because uh, there isn't one. <laughs> In my, in my opinion. I just want to go and have a bit of a look at some of the questions back here. I'm trying to get as, through as many of these because people have taken the time to go through them and we, we really do appreciate everyone taking a bit of time to go through this. Um, uh, that bright guy on uh, Twitter has said, the club goes through this every season. The year of Popper was very much the exception. He says that I want the club to be playing exi- attacking football and to win a few games as the season rolls out. And he says, with Sage as the owner, it's always going to be the same. We need to enjoy a good season as they will be rare. That's what he said. He goes, that being said, I'll always turn up to the games, win, lose, or draw. It's uh, it's always good therapy and a stress relief as a supporter. Well, sometimes it gives you more stress than relief, I think. But we do appreciate uh, Bride jumping on board with that. Uh, there was another one here I wanted to go through. Ben Walsh, and uh, g'day to Ben, who's uh, who listens and jumps on board quite frequently. Uh, he says he's extremely worried. We're potentially three to four seasons away from pro and uh, rel, promotion and relegation. Well, we might be about that, but it's certainly on the cards as far as we're aware. Uh, this is the worst position the club has ever been. We need to act ASAP before it gets worse. I want to throw it out there because is is Perth just not really that good? Are we going to see Perth glory as, as possible as a yo-yo club for a second division? Are we going to see Perth more likely to be a second division club based on other movements of clubs and clubs being based on, on, on merit and everything like that, Tommy? Is, is that where... I mean, are we really going to find our our ceiling in that regard? <laughs> Where do I start with that? Um, on on the evidence of of the past, um, since it, of of the amount of times that Glory have competed towards the top of the league, um, it, it's clear that they're not a perennial contender by any stretch of the imagination. So they are essentially in that bracket where they have been either pushing for the finals slash playoffs or they have been close towards the bottom end of the league. That's just that's just the facts. Um, whether that is going to be something that carries further forward, I always find it difficult to think about when it when it's just, when when we're in the salary cap sort of style of league because a lot of things can change very quickly. Uh, and we shouldn't forget um, that, that there have been teams in, in recent seasons. I mean, we, we sort of even talking about Sydney FC at the start of the season, Blaine, and, and, and how they started the campaign and, and they've sort of pushed their way back up a, a little bit. And they obviously had that, that really good result against Western United at the weekend. So um, a lot of, a lot can happen, can change within a season, let alone in between seasons, particularly with a long off season. Players move abroad. Um, teams can get disjointed very quickly. Um, yeah, I, I, I find it's very hard to gauge. I, I don't think you can ever be necessarily perennially... You, you can be perennially in one in one place, but uh, I, I don't even know how to articulate it. I, I just think it's very hard mm. and difficult in a, in, in, a, in that sort of salary cap league and in that format that we are as, as, as an A-leagues at the moment. Um but I think if you get your structures right, and we've seen that with other clubs, and there's no reason that you can make strides and you can be a little bit more consistent if you sort of catch what I'm trying to say. I think I've muddled that a little bit. Yeah, no, we certainly get the um, yeah get the get the sentiment. Uh, Maria Stella on Twitter says uh, she's very sad and disappointed that we're always in rebuild mode. It does feel like that from time to time. I've been there since the beginning, and seeing it dwindle, it's heartbreaking. But I still go to the games and support the players. Uh, she just wants to give see the players give everything until the end of the season, uh, regardless of the ladder. Uh, I think everyone can agree with that. And she just says, "Look, I'm simply not sure what the future does hold for Perth Glory." So I mean, there is a little bit about that. Um, let's 
let's have a bit of a talk about the apathy that's kind of set in. We have seen this many, many times before, and unfortunately, I think we will finish on this. Uh, Neil, it does get to the point, I guess, and if you do follow a, a club that's been kind of continually uh, makes you feel screwed over as a fan, you get to the point where you're just going to go and find something that's a bit more fun to do, aren't you? I wouldn't say there's just apathy towards the football club. I think there's apathy league-wide. and That's obviously a, broad, a broader discussion to be had, but mm. on top of that, when the glory are in the position they are, it, it, you, you can't feel... You, you can't... Sorry, you, you, you can't feel anything but disappointed. Um, the squad's good on paper. The squad's a finals, perennial finals team on paper. I, I, I you know, it is. It just is. Uh, yeah, it's imbalanced, but you know, in quality alone, this team is good enough to make finals. Um, apathy exists because the glory give away too much. Say just too open about selling the club. Things aren't really communicated behind closed doors as they should be, and that really compounds this effect. Uh, I think with the victory, there was there was apathy last season, but there was also cautious optimism, knowing that, you know, Brebner had been sacked and that, you know, the club was going to bring in uh, owner Tony Popovich, who, who eventually did, well, and is, is obviously achieving with the, with the club at the moment. So, for the glory, it might be a bit of a different situation. Look at Newcastle with Arthur, Arthur Pappas. He's done a fantastic job, but I think the apathy is, is something that reigns true. The Glory fans have promised so much this season, and to see it all been flushed down the toilet is really disappointing. And uh, I really do empathise with every Glory fan who's bought a season ticket, um, goes to these games continually and sees Garcia and uh, the, the side really play some, at times, moronic, boring football that is very uninspiring and there's nothing really to be excited about to be brutally honest with you mm. um uh tommy yeah. yeah carry on mate sorry no, no, just finish my point there we go yeah uh, uh tommy it is a it is a sad indictment on the club where the club is i mean we're going back to maria stella's um comments there and we'll, we'll finish up on this in fact i'll let you have the final word this evening from where we've come from in 1996 throughout the the nsl being the leader and I think many, without sounding like an arrogant glory fan, probably the blueprint for what became the A-League and, and for the success and the crowds that we brought in the later stages of the of the NSL. It's a sad situation what we see ourselves in at the moment, isn't it? But what would you like to see moving beyond this season for the Perth Glory Football Club? I think... I think I want to see an identity. I think I want to see see us try and bring that back a little bit. And I know that's obviously easier said than done because you've got to get the right pieces in the right positions to, to be able to bring that in. But I think we just want to see a bit of joy again, Blaine. Even in the short term, we want to see a little bit of joy on the pitch. We want to try and play with a little bit of adventure, play with a little bit of spark, a little bit of charisma, a little bit of flair. Um, take a few risks. Um to, to what Neil said, moronic, boring football or whatever. We want we want to see something that's going to sort of almost almost challenges a little bit more, and almost so so we're actually enjoying the game again because it has been turgid, and there have been factors that have are a part of that. But um, I, I think in the short term, anyway, and this applies for the long term as well. That in the long term, we want to see an identity, and that's obviously going to come through coaching. That's going to come through structure and strategy that the club are going to implement. Um, and and there's going to be powers that be that make those decisions. But we also want to just see a little bit of fun on the pitch again. We want to get the we want to get the crowds back in. We want to see good football being played. We want to see players, young players, coming in and playing with confidence, with flair and intent. And I think. If you do that, then the fans will buy in, and the fans will buy in, and they'll come in, and they'll come to a game, and the game will be lost four three. But you can say, "Geez, we've had a really good game, but we were just screwed by either a, a bit of bad luck or maybe a, a, the a late decision, a late decision, <laughs> a late fifty fifty that didn't quite go our way." But but we've not even really been having that at the glory. Instead, it's just been a matter of you go a goal down, and and the game's almost done, and and, and that's disheartening. So, so I think in the short term, that's, that's what I think 
Um, that's what I'd like to see. I'd like to see a little bit of fun injected um, back into the club again. And then and then obviously longer term, the identity needs to be one that's a bit vibrant, a bit more positive. And, and yes, yeah, something out of the box possibly is needed. Um going forward but but that's obviously going to be decisions that are made the of the powers that will be and uh yeah i'm sure we'll be mulling over these things in about 12 months time once again blaine hopefully Mm. we're not in the same position though that's where we'll wrap it up tonight uh neil really appreciate you jumping on board mate we know it's late over there um it's just gone midnight on uh on a tuesday night mate so we really do appreciate your time uh just give a big shout out to uh, uh kick 360 where can everyone find it where podcasts websites and the yeah, like so kick360.com.au uh find it the kickcast on your favorite podcasting platforms really appreciate the support obviously we're just um, independent media trying to make uh, a difference in the space. So we're very excited to, to delve into uh, the next chapter uh, soon, I suppose. And, yeah, thank you so much uh, for this wonderful opportunity. And, uh, yeah, I really do hope the glory get back to winning ways. I mean, you know, it, it, nothing would make me more happier than to see people in those retro glory kits just uh, singing and chanting away. Uh, I really want to get, I really want to get my Did- hand on one of those one of those soon. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah. So uh, thank you very much, and yeah, I really appreciate it. No worries at all, mate. Uh, yeah, get yourself a bit of chicken treat uh, on the back of your kit there, mate. It always does it the world of good. Hey, Tommy, uh, pleasure as always, mate, and uh, I'm sure we'll uh, be back up and running very, very soon. To the listeners out there, uh, it's been a long one. Uh, we're, I wasn't expecting to go this long, but I think it's been worth it. We really appreciate everyone hanging in there. Big thank you to everyone for all of their co- uh, thoughts, comments, uh, so on and so forth, and uh, you can catch us on all the platforms as per normal. Until we chat next time, we'll try and enjoy your football.